Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm your host, Anne Remy. I'm a counseling psychotherapist, yoga teacher, and trauma specialist living in Brighton, UK. On this show, we interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. But we're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level, from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello. Hi. How you doing? I am good, even though the energy of the world is still chaos. Sure. And to that note, happy Trans Awareness Week. Yay! (laughs) Yay! And not so happy Trans Awareness Week to trans folks in the UK. So this is the first time we're recording since the Prime Minister has made some very problematic comments about the trans community. And I know in this short amount of time that crime against trans people has already gone up. So I just want to, again, similar to our last episode, extend our love and sympathy and solidarity with the trans community during this time where it's probably not comfortable to be trans anywhere, if we're being honest. Truthfully. Yeah. 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 And yeah, because it's already been heightened in the U.S. for quite some time. Yeah. (sighs) Just like trans people aren't doing anything to you. Leave them alone. Let them be fabulous. That's it. Or not fabulous if they don't want to be. True. Just let them ex- just let them exist for <laughs> fuck's sake. True. Jesus. <laughs> like That's true. That's true. You know what else we forgot last time and I'm remembering right now is to talk about how people can support our podcast. So important. Yes. So if you're interested in supporting our podcast, easiest way to do that is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super duper appreciate it. We've got some Anne fans who've recently written in, which has been lovely. Woo-hoo. Woo! You can also buy merch. We have some cutie cute merch. Super cute. Yes, at T Public. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash CWH merch. That's tinyurl.com slash CWH merch. And then also you can support us on patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. That's where you can support us financially, which is awesome because we don't make any money on this. And you can give us as little as $1 a month or you can just give $1 one time and then never subscribe again. It's totally fine. <laughs> Truthfully, every little bit helps. We will appreciate it. And if you do that, Either Anne or I will send you a little welcome gift if you happen to live in the UK or US. So that's that. That's that. Now, on to today's guest, who... Yeah! It's so funny. Andrea, our editor, makes fun of me all the time for just like the love fest that I end up having with these people. But but for real, you guys, like Sarah and I have now become friends. Sarah Bursky-Hamrick. She's also another Sarah B. So we totally like we're joking about that during this. She is... I don't know. What did you think, Anne? I mean, I heard her talk about spiritual trauma and I was like, yes, tell me more. more. We didn't even really talk about that that much. No, but she, so even just in her telling us about herself, I was like, yes, uh uh-huh, on board, uh uh-huh, yeah, great. Your conversation with her brought up so many things that I've been thinking about recently Mm. in my own life in regards to class and privilege and ethical landlording 
Yeah, lots of different stuff. And I want to mention for UK listeners, probably, Sarah and Sarah are going to talk a lot about class and class in the US and class in the UK are very different. Okay. And and we've talked about this before, but it just seems like an important reminder for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should interview Sarah at some point and then you can talk more about religious trauma and you can talk to her about class in the US if she, or in the UK if she doesn't already know. She probably does because she's very smart. Um, I would love that. Yeah. Sarah, let's let's talk about religious trauma someday. Right. But there's so many things that you two touched on that really made me think about how I show up in the world and how mm. as I move through and, and you two talk about, you know, the way you grew up versus, you know, your current kind of way of mm-hmm. living. And and I grew up very similarly to you, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm solidly middle middle class mm-hmm. in both countries mm-hmm. and maybe even upper middle class and so it's interesting to hear your perspectives on that and i don't carry a lot of like um guilt or shame with that which feels really weird to say cuz the interesting. the quote unquote right thing to say feels like oh you know i you know to like caveat it huh but I don't feel that, but I recognize that part of the reason I don't feel that is because I grew up in capitalism. Yeah. And so part of me is going, uh, well, I worked my way up, but I also recognize that there's a lot of privilege and luck right. that comes with that. So, right. yeah, so it, it just kind of made me think about my relationship with kind of my current situation and how I don't really feel any guilt around that, which feels like a win to me, to be honest, as someone who is prone to guilt, but also how I can then take, and I'm always looking for different ways to redistribute, right? What's the point of holding on to everything? Right. Now that I'm in this extra privileged position, how can I then go out and do good with it? Right. Exactly. And I think your conversation did a really great job of highlighting that complexity. That's awesome. Yeah. And Sarah and I have been chatting on Marco Polo because it's my favorite app. And I do happen to be an ambassador for them right now. So maybe <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything except I have a I have a promo code, but you could get it for free anyway. But that's okay. Maybe I'll drop a promo code so that people can get it. <laughs> put it in the show notes. I Let should. People... I should. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking about Marco Polo and it's it's like in the episode, there were so many times where I was like, oh, my God, I want to know more about this. So then following up on Marco Polo, we'll, we'll we've like kept the conversation going and I'll be like, mm-hmm. so do you have like a podcast I could listen to about that? Or like we were even poloing about the, the conflict in the Middle East and, you know, she was sharing her resources cool. for that. And I was like, yeah, let like let me know because she was talking about a documentary. I don't even remember which one it was, but yeah. So I am excited that I have a new Sarah B in my life. So let me tell you about her. So Sarah Bursky Hamrick is a leftist therapist and coach out of Pennsylvania. She offers services through an anti-capitalist socialist lens, and she's worked with clients around the world, including the U.S., Australia, Switzerland, and Canada. So please enjoy my wonderful conversation with Sarah. Are you a therapist stepping into leadership for the first time? Or maybe you've been in a leadership position for a while, but are bumping up against new struggles. It's a transformative journey and one that can be deeply rewarding, but also filled with unique challenges. Many therapists find themselves in leadership positions because of their exceptional therapeutic skills, yet leading, supervising, or managing others requires a whole new set of competencies not covered in graduate school. 
Our authentic leadership group is here to help you become the authentic and wholehearted leader you aspire to be. And we believe this journey is best undertaken with the guidance of experienced mentors alongside fellow learners. Authentic Leaders will run February 2024 through September, meeting once monthly on Fridays for 90 minutes. Join me in this journey of self-discovery and leadership mastery, where you'll enhance your leadership skills and forge meaningful connections with fellow therapists who are committed to their own growth and the betterment of the therapy field. To join me and start registration, go to www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. That's headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello, Sarah. Sarah B. Nice to be here with you. <laughs> Let's just both call each other Sarah B. the whole time and people will just have no idea what's going on. I think that's a good call. And maybe our voices will also just start to sound like each there other and go. people will be confused the entire time. Yeah, that's what I want on my podcast. Utter confusion. <laughs> <laughs> you came for it. <laughs> oh, my God. And I have I'm just going to say it because I'm sure at some point there will be dogs barking or construction noises because there's a lot happening in my very quiet little town right now. So Andrea and the editing team, I'm so sorry. And listeners, this is just this is life. I agree. Yeah, there's there's cats within my reach and within my wingspan. So please, <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all in this together. Awesome. Cool. Well, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Sarah Brisky Hamrick. I am a licensed professional counselor. I work out of Pennsylvania. I live in Chester County, which is a county just west of Philly. I also do coaching, which is cool. I say that because I know a lot of therapists are doing it, and I think they should. I think it's a wonderful use of our skills. But anyway, back to me. I offer therapy for millennials and Zoomers or Gen Z primarily. My therapy consists mostly of recovering from spiritual trauma depression and anxiety. I also offer trauma treatment and EMDR therapy trained. My biggest and most important specialty is offering therapy through an anti-capitalist lens to leftist patients who reach out to me. So that would include that would include folks on the socialist, communist, dem social spectrum, folks that understand that therapy is political because we are politicized. Every part of our identity, every part of our body is politicized and to go into a therapist's office and to pretend that that is not true is an affront and I find that offensive <laughs> so I try to I try to offer that space for patients who come to see me and as far as coaching I offer anti-exploitative business coaching for therapists where they can learn how to be small business owners without exploiting the people they treat or other therapists as well as career coaching for folks who are a victim of corporate America. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found you. So good job with your SEO. Because <laughs> I, I told you and I'll just tell listeners so and I'll give a little plug along the way NASW of Illinois asked me to put together a, a workshop or actually no this one is one I'm doing on my own about financial literacy for therapists and small group practice owners and I wanted to make sure to have anti capitalist framework. I feel like I embody anti-capitalism in my values, but I don't I don't know the theories. I just feel like it's kind of 
an intuitive sort of thing that I've learned over the years. So I wanted to get some language. And so I was just Googling around and you popped up and I was like, oh my God, please be on my podcast. That really means so much. I do so much SEO work. I really appreciate that. The fact that it is actually effective. You know, I, I I think that when we use tools that we are not schooled in like Mm -hmm. marketing and SEO, there is going to be, because of the world we live in, there's always going to be a little suspicion of if these tools are actually going to work or if we are just ourselves being grifted. But as soon as I started doing my SEO work, it was effective. So yeah, it is a, it is a wonderful tool yeah. for therapists to use. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, okay. I was going to say, let's jump into anti-capitalism, but we need to know mm-hmm. about you more first. So do you want to tell us your therapist superhero origin story? Yeah, sure thing. I, how deep can I get into my origin story? I can get medium deep. Yeah, I decided yeah. I wanted to be a therapist when I first went to therapy when I was 17 years old. And mm. I, I took a bit of a attorney twisty turny journey up until then you know at that time my first therapist was a christian therapist because i was living in a conservative christian home Mm. i credit that therapist with a lot of my healing Mm. you know i i don't take back that that was the the choice i made to see some of that affiliation and that orientation Mm -hmm. but you know as throughout undergrad I decided that I wanted to like switching between majors as most 18 19 and 20 year olds do I decided that I wanted to pursue music therapy. So I did. I went I went to grad school. I'm a singer. I, Are you a <gasps> singer? Yes. Well, yes. Stop. Well, I mean, you said you were like, <laughs> uh, when we were getting ready, you're like, da da da, is this working? And I was like, oh my God. Okay, we're best friends. Go on. Sorry. I can't not sing. I, I'm like not a multitasker unless it's singing. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yes, voice is my primary instrument. And that's what I ended up majoring in in college. Then I went back to grad school when I was 25. It's actually my voice instructor who told me about the field when I was in undergrad. So I went to get my degree in music therapy and counseling, Drexel, graduated in 2015. And, you know, had a wonderful, had a wonderful beginning of my career being a music therapist. The only work really is in inpatient group therapy settings, yeah. like most therapists start out with. And then, you know, I got to what I really wanted to do from the beginning, which was which was talk psychotherapy. And I've been doing that exclusively for, I guess, since like 2018. Mm-hmm. Music therapy has been fairly phased out, but I credit it, you know, to bringing me to bringing me to this field. Mm. So all throughout, obviously, my roots coming from the values that I held growing up in Growing up in the kind of values that I was surrounded with have shifted, obviously, so much. It's tough to like figure out what part of that to share. So I'll be I'll be careful and gentle with sure. myself as I figure it yeah. out. So as, as many ex Christians and ex religious, anybody coming from like an Abrahamic religion, we understand that the not quite the deep programming, but mm-hmm. coming out of the religion itself yeah. can be fairly chaotic. And, you know, that's what I experienced. I experienced a little bit of chaos, a little bit of overuse of substances, a little bit of a little bit of just like wildness. And I don't I try not to carry shame for that just because it was just part of my massive grieving process. But deconstruction is different for everyone. So in my deconstruction, I very obviously throughout college realized, oh, people that don't look like me and love differently than me and identify differently than me are you know, unlike what I was taught individuals and, and of value and love. And I, you know, I had, I had friends that were, were different from me and my identity when I was in high school, but I always carried that 
false binary in my mind. Mm. Like, okay, this exists and I love this and I love this individual, but but hell is scary. Mm. <laughs> hell and d- eternal damnation isn't something I wanted to fuck with. So, you mm. know, I, I chose to kind of just hold this like really obviously contradictory, but just like aggressive uh, competition of values within my mind. There was never a condemnation of individuals, but there was also this like duality that existed. In yeah. me that was just like, just like nauseating to think about now how I tolerated that. And it makes sense that I was in therapy when I was a teenager. Yeah. So, you know, throughout college, obviously moving a little bit more to the left, obviously in grad school, I don't think you can encounter, unless it's a specific program, you're not going to encounter a lot of mental health clinicians that are leaning very right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you do. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, you know, as my career progressed, and I really was very exposed to the healthcare industrial complex, you know, saying that because it is it is a business healthcare is a business who was exposed just to how, like, the violence, the violence behind our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Our healthcare system is not there to treat people. It's there to treat crisis. It's there to put band-aids on people. Yeah. It's not there to care for them. It's there to keep them coming back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. So this accompanied with the 2016 election, which while painful, you know, this realization that our former president is really no different than other people. <laughs> Most other people we've had in office, he's just a little less quaffed. Well, he's pretty quaffed. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But my point is, (laughs) my point is, you know, there is this, I think many leftists have this realization, this painful grieving process of this feeling of shittiness is not me. Right. It is systematic. It is, it is not, it is not the choices I have made all the time. Right. It is. And, and in a wonderful world, we would be able to make bad choices. I give scare quotes with that. We would be able to make bad choices and not have our lives be destroyed. Right. right? That That's like an ideal world. Right. But my point is, you know, this realization about how this thing that we are kind of raised to laud and appreciate was not for me and not for my loved ones, not for my partner, not for anybody that I knew, because I don't know any billionaires. <laughs> so it wasn't built for me. Yeah. And, you know, as time progressed, and this, my career is, you know, staying the same at this point, my political orientation is shifting, but we also had the 2020 uprisings. And, you know, that's where like, like fantastic, massive shift happened for me. I was in Philly at the time. And, you know, just hearing for three months, hearing helicopters 24 seven, seeing at that time, 35 patients a week oh my god who were just desperate and wow. in the most intense amount of pain some of them have never experienced yeah that was the final <laughs> that was the final like oh okay well this isn't this isn't working let me let me shift fully to this belief that mm-hmm. is really explains why not only the US is the way it is but why our world is the way it is mm-hmm. and it's important for me specifically individually to keep in mind that most of my trauma is due to capitalism because capitalism itself is the issue. Capitalism has several arms. Those arms include patriarchy, racism, classism. And I'm just going to emphasize that again, classism. We have ableism. We have transphobia and homophobia. Anything that fosters, anything that fosters hatred amongst Mm -hmm. us, amongst the people that need to be united in order for any change to happen. So I could talk for like three more hours. So does that answer my origin story question? Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting to me that 
really in 2020, it's almost like if we did not step in with our political selves into therapy, then then it's negligence. You know, I, I think the world was a really different place three years ago. And even though all of the same things were happening, I mean, at that time, it became too obvious to ignore. And more people have more access to that information and are suffering more. So yeah, I'm with you. Everything you said. Yeah, 100%. And I and I like to give myself some compassion that it didn't happen until 2020 because I was like there was a certain amount mm-hmm. of life dissatisfaction that just followed me everywhere. And you know, when my life started to change because I made decisions about how I wanted to live my life versus how it was kind of laid out for me when I was younger, I had, you know, some relief and some joy. But it, it's impossible to it became more impossible to ignore in 2020, certainly. Yeah. But there needed to be a process of me deprogramming from the propaganda of U.S. hegemony. <laughs> like I needed to also just unlearn everything. And that takes years to do. Unlearn everything you've been taught yeah. about our supremacy. And I don't mean, I don't mean like racially. I mean like the supremacy of the U.S., which is, yeah. which is a ghost. Yeah. We're not, we, we are not best at anything but imperialism and conquering and colonizing. Ooh. Well, that's all we're best at. Mm. Yeah. And police reform. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're, <laughs> yeah. Ugh. You're right. And mm. ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh, yeah. I remember, God, I was probably like in my early 20s and my mom had said something about like she was worried that like China was becoming more powerful than the US and I was like I think we could be knocked down a peg and that would probably do us some good <laughs> like I don't think we have yeah. to be number 1 and I mean there's so much more complicated stuff that goes along with that but I just remember thinking yeah. like why does it matter but that's why it matters. That's why it matters. Yeah. And and I, you know, I only touch on this for a moment because it's complicated and super polarizing. But what would a world be like if a country that had free health care and was completely rid of poverty was the most powerful country in the world? And that's China. <laughs> you know, so, and we could like leave that there for listeners to unpack, of course. But yeah, I mean, how how many of us have heard that from our elders or from mm-hmm. our peers? Mm-hmm. And like, what are we holding on to? What exactly right. is it that we're holding on right. to? And that like kind of security, that false security of, again, supremacy mm-hmm. is a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though. I was I'm never downtown and I, I had an event to go to downtown yesterday and I went to Starbucks because I was early and then I was just walking and I didn't get to get a good look at them. But out of the periphery, I think they were like college age students. And they <laughs> the one guy was like preaching to the other guy about anti-capitalism and socialism. And I was just like, I was trying to hear like everything he was saying, like, ooh, what tidbits do I need to know? Like, how is he explaining this? <laughs> and I have to mention, because I think it'll be published before this comes out. So my co-host, and she just interviewed a drag performer in the UK named Cheddar Gorgeous. And one would think, what, what does this have to do with drag? And nothing at all, but Cheddar is 
one of the most, I think, evolved humans that I've ever heard from and was talking about also the traps that we can fall into when we think that socialism is the answer because what ends up being the root of the problem with any system we have is human greed and how we relate to power. And I was like, oh, cheddar. Ooh, preach. Yeah, yeah. I hear that a lot. <laughs> I, they're a big argument for... First off, Gen Z is going to save us all. I, I don't want to put I that know. pressure on them, but like what a, what a beautifully emotionally evolved generation of young yeah. people that are just getting demolished by the systems that are set up for them. And i not putting pressure on them to change the world, but I just want to like let any of them know that are listening that we see you and we, we love you so much. Keeping in mind that human greed aspect, one of the arguments for capitalism, and I think after this week, talk about what capitalism yeah, yeah. is. Yeah, sure. I guess we should. Yeah. <laughs> right, maybe. But one of the arguments for capitalism is that greed is very inherent in our human nature. But what is actually inherent in our human nature is adaptability. There are there are trauma specialists. I think the one, Stephen Porges is the one that's coming to mind, but just speaking about how mammals are so strong in that it takes so much to kill us it doesn't mean that we are like you know living our best mm -hmm. lives after we've we've endured a lot of trauma but it does mean that like physically it is very it takes a lot to end our existence and that is because we are highly adaptable i mean if you look back in history there are many instances of people just kind of adapting to what was mm -hmm. around them we could talk about the vikings we can talk about pilgrims we can talk about we can talk about tribal warfare pre-colonization. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, this assumption that greed and and these other really negative attributes are very natural to humanity ignores our material conditions, which is essentially like, what are we living in that makes us greedy? What are we subjected to that teaches us that greed is the only way? Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at socialism through the lens of capitalism, hell yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to think that nothing is the answer. Yeah, that's a great point. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, and with the intersection of Christian supremacy, it's so, right? Yeah. Eye roll, big eye roll big there eye roll. because I've just been consuming so much media about the intersection of Christian supremacy, white supremacy, and and capitalism, and how a lot of these evangelical movements are literally preaching the exact opposite of how they're living, and are what is it called the prosperity gospel? I haven't heard. Of oh, that. you haven't heard that? I th no. I think that it's basically like you know you've been ordained by God to you know have whatever you want, all all the material possessions you desire, as long as you're a good person and blah, blah, blah. I can't, I can't, I'm probably saying it wrong. It, sound, but it sounds about right. It like tracks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. What a good point. And I think to address that, we can kind of go back to the history of capitalism and what it is. Yeah, please. So modern day capitalism, as we know, it is a political and economic system in which the means of production are not owned by workers, they're owned by a ruling class. So the ruling class includes billionaires, it includes people in power, it includes every single president and vice president of the United States we've ever had, it includes every single person we've ever had in the Supreme Court. Anyone who has grown up and has existed in immense privilege is a member of the ruling class. Those folks don't all get along, obviously, but so we'll come back to that. So when I say that the means of production are not owned by the workers. I mean, the workers don't actually own what they use to create and produce what they need to create and produce to keep the world running. They don't own factories. They don't own machinery. The, the ruling class owns that. So Amazon workers don't own 
the materials they use to move packages to and fro these gigantic warehouses, which they also don't own. And they don't own the facilities. They don't own anything that they interact with throughout the day. It's owned by some. Also within capitalism, production is based on profit and not on need, meaning we overproduce constantly because production is based on how much money people can make. A very good example of that is increases of train derailment just this year. Yeah, Workers not being able to have benefits that keep them not only housed, but fed and keep their families housed and fed. And then like, God forbid, have a little bit of leisure time and be able to retire. Right. Because aren't they allowed now one sick day a month or something? It's like something that's like wild. It's, it's, it's criminal. <laughs> yes. Yes. We talk about it like it's just, it's criminal. So capitalism yeah. is that, right? It is a political and economic system that works based off of profit, not off of what the people actually need. So what we do see as a result of capitalism is mass homelessness and houselessness. We see chronic poverty because capitalism needs poverty. We see gutting of services. And in the U.S., that really was prominent in the 80s with Reaganomics. Bless his, mm-hmm. bless his departed heart. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Really? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it, capitalism itself has only been around for 500 years. There, it's, there's, it developed out of feudalism, which was one landlord owning a bunch of places mm-hmm. and all of the homes that people lived in. The transition to capitalism was not natural. It was, right. it was a bloodbath. And if you think about the things mm-hmm. that were happening concurrently with capitalism, the slave trade, the African slave trade, I should say, where yep. we took an entire continent's worth of people to different places to enslave them. Because we, we needed cheap and labor. free labor. Free the European labor. Yeah. and New World witch hunts were also happening yep. during the implementation of early capitalism. The invention of race as we know it, Mm-hmm. Right, because we could not have free African slaves uniting with poor white workers. <laughs> yes. Oh, when I heard about that, I was like, "Fuck, that's it!" Right. And that's how that's how Trump won. Right, like keeping that divide and speaking to the poor white people. You can have what you people. want, absolutely. And then, and then, <sighs> you know, on one hand, speaking to them, and on the other hand, just like completely demolishing them and leaving leaving them behind right so that that's like how we that's the conceptualization that we have of race now developed because of capitalism so you used to be irish and german now you're whites and now these people are different than you yeah Yeah. so you know other things that that really thrive under capitalism are landlordship how many people in their 30s and 40s myself included do we know that are renters and will be for the foreseeable future. People don't own things under capitalism. Only a few people own mm-hmm. things under capitalism. So how can that affect our mm-hmm. mental health? <laughs> mm-hmm. How can mm-hmm. not owning something and how can having policy after policy divide you from your peers and your fellow workers or your fellow disabled or your fellow sick people? How can you feel good under capitalism? How can you feel solidarity? How can you feel united? And the answer is you can't. Okay, we need more hope than that, though, Sarah. Come on. Wait, I'm coming. My intention is to (laughs) strip you down and then build you up. No, keeping in mind that there is like such a grieving process in figuring all of this out, finding this terminology and 
understanding just exactly how it affects every single one of us. Moving away from this, mm-hmm. I need a seat at the table to fuck the table. We all need a place to sit. <laughs> we all need a place yeah. to live. We all need a place to eat. So at the end of the day, mm-hmm. capitalism wholly discourages community. Community yeah. leads to communism. I mean, was the the Red Scare right in the 1950s. It was mm-hmm. this idea that anything communal would look too much like the USSR. So, you know, what can we do in community? How can we heal through community? How can we individually heal through the bonds that we have with our brothers, our sisters, and our siblings? How can we gain that unity that has, is like taken from us every single day? Think about the content Mm -hmm. you absorb every day. Think about, think about the conversations that you have. Think about the divisiveness that you come up against. And as therapists and healers and clinicians, Think about the hate that we are hearing the people under our care experience every day. Right. So community is always going to be the answer. Finding your people, finding solidarity, organizing. There is despair that one needs to realize in recognizing capitalism and its in its reach. But there is also hope in every single right that we have now was won through struggle. The eight-hour workday. Roe versus Wade, which was obviously mm-hmm. on a shaky legs anyway. Every reform that mm-hmm. we've ever experienced as people was won through struggle. And we 1,000% can still do it today. Yeah. We are in hot labor summer, for God's sakes. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking of my clients who we have these conversations. And that's always my answer too, right, is community and Every time I ask this, you know, this question of like, how do we have hope right now? It's always, I know I'm not alone in this fight. And I have a few clients who really feel alone and feel like, I don't know, it's, I mean, it's trauma. It's like all of the things that disconnect us from one another. So for folks who who feel that loneliness and that isolation, any suggestions for communities where they can feel like they've got, you know, brothers and sisters and everything in between? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There is always going to be, whether it already exists or whether it's just a seed in your mind, you know, waiting to germinate, mm-hmm. there is community. So it, whether it is you joining an axe throwing group that already exists, I say that because axe throwing is the new bowling. Right. Oh, cute. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Essentially, because, you know, there was, these observations like that go back since the seventies that people don't bowl anymore. And that was the way people were able to bond with each other. But I think that's interesting. My right. theory is that axering is the new, the new bowling. bowling alone. Was that the yes. book? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I read that in grad school. Oh, yeah. yeah. So whether it is something that's in your mind that needs to grow or whether it already exists, it is there for the taking, but it's all about mm-hmm. exerting the energy to find it. And it's being very forgiving and gentle with yourself. when you just simply don't have the energy because we are mm-hmm. constantly having energy extracted from us. Yes, right. And that's what I find. That's what my clients will say to me, right? Is that, yeah, sure, it's out there, but I'm fucking exhausted. I'm traumatized, you know, up the wazoo. I don't have time. I don't have patience. I don't have, right? Right. Because capitalism keeps us tired. Capitalism keeps us tired. And it also makes us think <sighs> that people are exhausting. And yeah. we we do encounter extreme divisiveness. We do encounter extreme hate as a result of capitalism. But it is important to remember that being around people 
is energizing. And it's easy to forget that when we mm-hmm. are isolated. And I saying this just as an individual who has struggled with depression for her entire life. And to be to be candid, I'm currently dealing with a fairly distressing depressive episode. I have enough energy for this episode, but but I'm going through a tough time myself. I also mm. know that I'm gonna need to be around people. And the day after that, I'm going to need to sleep for a couple extra hours. Yeah. You need to be around. And I don't just mean people. Choose your family. Choose your community. Yes. They don't have to be your, your people. Yes. They don't have to be your best mm-hmm. friends either. They can be individuals that you do community organizing with. They can be folks that you meet out at Pride or folks that you meet, you know, in any in any of the community gatherings that are still <laughs> legal. Just find someone that you can get coffee with and build upon mm-hmm. that. Mm. Well, I want to thank you for showing up here and also modeling vulnerability for listeners, because I'm guessing there was a part of you that knew this might be an energizing conversation, right? Being amongst a fellow Sarah B, obviously, but, you know, to be able to have conversations and, and know that people you don't even know are doing work that is impacting and I don't know. I just maybe I'm just an overly optimistic person, but I have to believe that like good will prevail over evil at the end of the day. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive, but that's I don't think you're naive. I, I think live. you're I think you're looking at history. It's happened. Yeah. We've seen revolution. <laughs> We've seen it happen mm-hmm. in countries and they've thrived for for generations afterwards. It is really mm-hmm. I mean, we're in the US, we are essentially in like we're in like the Roman capital. Right. We are like in, in yeah. the pit, as they say. So as mm. long as there is will and as long as there is energy, we can be we can live to see the overthrow of capitalism. Like we certainly can. Like mm. I said, we've we've seen it. We've seen it in other places that it is possible. But it's really mm. about putting forth that energy. And also having having your peers around you to do that with you, right? Mm-hmm. Just like relationship and work. There's burnout in activism. There's burnout in every sector in yes. which we <laughs> in which we yeah. exert energy. So it's, you mm-hmm. know, you even when you are working towards like change and revolution, you also still need to take care of yourself because you need to survive towards what we're building. Right. I don't think you're right. optimistic. I think you're just paying attention. Well, thank you. <laughs> Not just Pollyanna <laughs> over here. And also it's it's really interesting because I'm feeling a little bit of a sh- of shame right now. Mm-hmm. And it's because I want so <laughs> This is so funny because three years ago, this never would have been a thing. But now I have shame that my husband is a property manager (laughs) because his family owns properties, right? So when his grandparents bought properties in, what, the 1950s, the world was a really different place than it is now, you know? And it's something that, like, every time I see an anti-landlord thing, I'm like, but... But not all landlords. It's so funny how I can track the way that I used to respond to anti-racism and how much I've learned about it so that I no longer have that response because my first thought when I see those posts now is, but what do we do? And that's what I used to think about racism too because his mother is still in control of of the estate and all of that. And so like right now there's nothing we can do because we don't have control. And all we can do right now is learn And hopefully by the time we do have, you know, control to sort of execute whatever plans we want, we will have learned what is a more equitable way Mm. to utilize this privilege. Yeah, I appreciate, again, like that, that honesty is very important. And that, 
being candid about our experience as we unlearn defensiveness. Right. Even as we oh, <laughs> say that again. Unlearn defensiveness. Unlearn defensiveness. Mm. And I, you know, I'm glad too, because this is something I really wanted to mention. We cannot, and I challenge, you know, I challenge anybody listening. I challenge, I challenge you. I challenge me. I challenge everyone to, when they're talking about race and gender, to talk about class. You cannot, you cannot talk about overthrowing capitalism without talking about class. Mm-hmm. Class is a topic in which Republicans and Democrats alike are determined to keep out of yeah. the common person's lexicon. And it is so deeply important that we recognize our our class relations, our our comradeship with each other as workers, as mm. or even as people like I, I go back to this because there are still, you know, the working class also needs to recognize that not everybody can work physically. Right. So yeah, keeping that in mind that even if you mention class, that encompasses your race and your gender and every other part mm-hmm. of your identity. Your class is what connects you with the people around you. And also where you came from. If you mm-hmm. Shift because I'm thinking of. Have you heard of spiral dynamics? I am obsessed with this now. Okay, I'm going to send you an article. It's, I'm obsessed. It's basically a meta theory of the evolution of consciousness, <laughs> and it makes everything make sense. So I will share the secrets of the universe with you. Don't worry. But, Small stuff, right? <laughs> I know, right? But one of the things that they talk about is as you evolve in consciousness, often what happens is they have the the level sort of color coded. And it's not you're not just in one level, but you, what do they say, transcend and include. So you're all the levels at the same time. But wherever you are, you look forward with fear and behind with disdain. Mm-hmm. And I think like I grew up in... You know, I don't know if it was upper lower class or lower middle class. I don't know. We were poor. My mom was a single mom, parents divorced. And I remember when the poor lady, quote unquote, from church brought us groceries that I knew we were in trouble. And then I married into this family knowing that my husband's family had all these buildings and what a struggle that was. Like that was probably one of my biggest awakenings in grad school was, oh, like I have ascended in class. A, how much shame I felt about where I came from and how much I did not feel like I fit into where I was going. And yeah, and now how much I look back on where I came from and I'm like, well, you could do better, right? It's all there. Right. <laughs> Everything we're talking oh, about. Completely. And I'm, I'm so glad that you shared that because, you know, I growing up myself in a working class family, you know, my parents were just always working and that's what they had to do. Yes. It's just yes. what there was no other option. So in order to, mm-hmm. to keep us safe and housed, they needed to work. Yeah. And, you know, being someone who ended up getting a higher education, I now make more. Right. Yeah. That, and that's what parent, that's like what caregivers typically hopefully want for their offspring is that they mm-hmm. want them to be more successful. And I am. But by our current standards, right, I still don't own anything. I own my car, which is nice. I bought that when I was still living in the house I grew up in, but I don't own anything. And like this disparity between like I am having a similar class crossing struggle, mm. but I also don't have anything <laughs> mm. in a sense of ownership. Yep. Which is yep. still keeps me in a certain class and even even at a lower lower hierarchy. Right. 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 Which is just it's just like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But I like <laughs> <laughs> I say that too. I'm like we are best friends. Yeah, yeah totally. I will take nothing less than best friends for life. Now. I'm I'm not declining. <laughs> I'm into it. 
So, and if you are from a younger generation, and I say that knowing that millennials are now in their early forties, we are not, Mm -hmm. we are not these like, yeah, like young irresponsible, I say young, not in a pejorative way, but in a descriptive way, we are not these young, irresponsible avocado toast eating punks. We are, we are Mm. grownups and we're still talked about like we are. We're still yes. talked about in the pejorative sense. And now Gen Z, yeah. now Gen Z, the labels being placed upon them are just as egregious, if not more. But the way mm-hmm. in which we are being made to suffer and live is just unconscionable. And mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I don't really have a point that I'm making. I just wanted to observe and, and come back yeah. to the point that it's very difficult to work ethically and morally under capitalism. Thank you. Thank you. You can yes. make choices to not exploit which is what I have done. And yeah. that's what, you know, many of the folks that I, in my circle do. But that means also only having a solid practice. That might mean having a, pra- a group practice that is a cooperative. Cooperative. That means that, you know, this mm-hmm. is kind of where I'm going to mm-hmm. be. This is where I'm going to be as far as like, I can raise my rate or I can continue to offer other services or I can get other employment. But, you know, you can make the choice to not exploit. But at the end of the day, we're we're having to charge money for health care services and we're having to engage with if we choose to we're having to engage in insurance companies and uh, and we're having to engage with with other with other parts of the healthcare system including needing to use the dsm-5 in order to get services paid for you know we are we can at times be accomplices to this pain and suffering 100 right and we i think it's it's in the zeitgeist kind of the therapists talk about unlearning stuff they learn in grad school like don't harm your patients or your clients with that but also right. like recognizing your harm in participating in all of this right right so so how can you work as ethically and morally through an anti-capitalist lens as possible and it can be done that is the wonderful thing is that it can be done you just have to figure out a way to do it and you have to really stick to it And I just want to mention here, too, because I've started seeing this pop up more on the Facebook groups that I'm a part of is companies like don't fucking sue me anybody, but companies like Headway and Alma that are purporting to make it easier for clients to get services. While that's happening now, what the critique is that I am seeing, and you probably know more about this than I do, is that it's like Uber, where Initially, it was great for everybody. Therapists are making more, you know, and then all of a sudden, VC is going to want their money back and rates will drop for therapists and then they'll be stuck because they won't be able to contract with insurances and won't be able to go. I, I don't know. Do you know more about that than I do? <laughs> I am not it's scary as that. fuck. I, I, okay. My, but my immediate response to, and I mean that as a like, holy shit, like what a thing I need to look up now. But I mean, gig economy is always is always going to yeah, this language is a little violent, but it's always growing to like fuck the person who is you, mm-hmm. who is the employee. It is always yeah. going to do that eventually, and it very right. usually does in the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah. Having every every part of our jobs that are already fairly commodified mm-hmm. being commodified is, is a real bummer. Mm-hmm. And we can't strike. We can't do anything to collectively bargain for our rights because it would be considered antitrust under these programs. No. Just in general. Oh, gen- oh, general, just like unionizing therapists yeah. together, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see. Yeah, of course. Which is which is a, a weird exclusion that we are having to participate in. Right. I do love following the Kaiser strikes in Southern California and Central California, and that is just simply the system that we are working within because we have 
chosen to be in a field that is very exclusionary, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and it's mm. it's difficult. Let's shift gears just a little bit because I yeah. see we have been already talking for 45 minutes. I love you so much. How do you feel about the term healer in the work that you do? What a great question. I, if I can take a side road to where our destination is, <laughs> you know, the the original healers, right? And I, I like I'm clearly of European ancestry, so that's what I'm speaking to. The original healers before the witch hunt, before capitalism, during during feudalism, and even before that, were women, were our ancestresses, right? Were women and femmes, and they they were healers. Mm-hmm. They midwives, midwives cared, handled births, they handled care, they handled health, mm-hmm. and then and then doctors, as we know it kicked midwives out of their positions and made health a commodity and made mm-hmm. human bodies a commodity. But before that, the word healer was attached, was attached to these, to these individuals. And that's, that's what I hold on to is that even before capitalism, it wasn't wonderful for women, but it was better, believe it or not. Right. Mm. The dark ages were better for women then <laughs> than the enlightenment, believe it or not. Ooh, interesting. So while, while it has never been safe to be in this body, they're the kind of solidarity that these these women had with each other and with their communities and the reliability, the we can't do without this. And not in a way that I want to dethrone you, but in a way that I want to value you and lift you up. Yeah. Is my relationship to the word healer is is mm. we are <laughs> we are participating in a community together and the healer is one part of that community that is integral, but is only a part. Mm. Nobody be mad if you were a guest before, but I think that is my favorite answer to this question of all time. (laughs) I feel, I mean, like energetically, I feel so rooted right now. And that feels so powerful. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to hear that. And that is, I'm jazzed to hear that, actually. (laughs) And that is something we can continue now. Right. There does right. not have to be this, right. this power dynamic that exists for us. We can just be a part. Yes, obviously, right. we there is a bit of a strangeness and a discomfort around us just knowing things about people. But that does not mean that as therapists, we have to be separate and that we ourselves have to be supremacist in the way that we relate right. to, to workers, to the surplus, to, to non-workers. We are peers. We are all, mm. we are truly all in this together. And to be a healer, you need to be in the suffering with everyone else to a degree. Well, speaking of that, wounded healer, how does that fit for you? <laughs> you walked right into it. Oh, here we are. Yeah. So like I said yeah. at the beginning, most of the trauma that I faced is a result of capitalism, whether it's patriarchal violence gender-based violence, which may sound like they're the same, but but they are not because patriarchal violence can be committed by any gender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Growing up in the religion that I grew up in, attending Christian camps, attending Christian sleepaway camps, be, being a female athlete, being, being a member of the working class, being in food service until I was 25, anything that you can be exposed to without going into too, too insurmountable details it's violence. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we encounter violence and our concept of violence is a little funny because it's, I think it's very skewed by like, like media and horror movies truly. <laughs> right. Right. But really violence is it's both action and inaction. And I heard this wonderful quote from 
Lisa Armstrong. She's a professor at Smith College. She put a book out this year called Bury the Corpse of Colonialism. It's chef's kiss. But (laughs) she made this wonderful point that our proximity to civilization indicates our exposure to violence. I got chills. (laughs) Right. So while we decolonize, while we work under through anti-capitalist lens in communal-based work, we are also de-civilizing. And that does not mean that we are right. becoming this like really racist. Uncivilized. Uncivilized, right? It doesn't mean we're becoming this like right. racist trope of an uncivilized person. It means right. that we are changing what it means to live in a place that's safe. You are a treasure. That's so nice. I find you to be a treasure. I... I'm just so excited that you did such good SEO that we got to have this conversation. And if we do not stay friends, I will be very upset. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm <a> guest, yeah. <laughs> I am just so, I feel really enlivened right now. I'm so happy to hear that. And honestly, being a leftist, I, the the unofficial religion of the United States is anti-communism right that that's like we we know that we all every single one of us even if you didn't grow up christian you have a response to atheists you have a response to that word every single one of us who grew up in america have an internal response to communism because we don't Mm -hmm. know what it is so being being a communist being someone that practices socialism it is not always safe to step into a space so i appreciate you making Mm. it safe i appreciate you not eye rolling and having your eyes glaze over because that's typically not typically that's a lot of time what people are met with really? in like in like a in like mainstream settings i should say so i i appreciate you not only being believing but also engaging that's that's a gift mm-hmm. well i also want to say too and we don't have time to really unpack this but there is a problematic expression of leftist views too, Mm -hmm. right? And it's the horseshoe effect, right? (laughs) You oppose something enough, you become just like it. And so you are rooted in truth. Mm -hmm. That's that's why I'm responding to you this way. Like, and we're not just like, yeah, fuck capitalism, flip the table. (laughs) Like that's just words and they're stupid and -hmm. it doesn't help anybody, right? I hear how much you've studied the history and I'm so impressed by you. you that means a lot and i I chuckled earlier when you mentioned horseshoe effect because my partner and i were just just talking about the horseshoe effect Mm -hmm, this morning mm -hmm. yeah absolutely if so if you are to study you know for yourself and for listeners if you are to study study folks that are obviously highly recommended in any sector you go into there's going to be the theory bros or the theory sisses or as we said anything in between there's always going to be a level of intimidation but find find the tenets Right. Find find the original theorists and find people who have built upon them. Besides Marx. Yes. Besides Marx, we could study Marx, study Marx to the ends of the earth. He was a wise man. Study Mm -hmm. Walter Rodney, study Thomas Sankara, African revolutionary, study Sylvia Federici, study all of these profound people. Mm. 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 Yes. Yes. Okay. So. Tell people how to find you because people are going to be lit up by this. Oh my gosh, my hopes are so high. Okay. <laughs> Teletherapywithsarah.com. I have a pretty cool blog. I post a, I post once a month. I do the SEO, man. It's hard work, but I do it 
but I put up posts about surviving life mentally and physically in capitalism. I post things for therapists as well, like how to how to build practices, how to do it through an anti-capitalist lens. And it's mostly about survival. You know, while we're on mm-hmm. this earth, I have some products available, but only like if you buy something, share it with your community. I didn't really make it to make money mm-hmm. off it. I just kind of made these things so that people can have the information and I believe labor should be paid. So, you know, they're, they're yep. fairly inexpensive. So mm-hmm. you can find me there. Do you have a podcast? I did. Yeah. Oh, my, oh my goodness. My, my very close friend, my best friend, Joanna and I, fellow therapist, Joanna Dwinnell's orianatherapy.com. She and I had a podcast called Therapist Next Door. We are on break for the summer and taking a hiatus. If we are to come back, it will be with a rebrand and a different approach. But if you do want to listen to our older episodes, that's tndpodcast.com. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I am just delighted. This has been so amazing, so enlivening. It's the best way to start my weekend. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to hear that. I agree. Thank you for giving me a space and for having this wonderful show that you offer. And the vulnerability is just, it's something that we need. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks to our guest for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. You can find Sarah at, at Head Heart Biz Therapy on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find Anne at, at Spare Room Wellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.